0: I presume that the Steelers have taken a step backward this offseason. Is that fair? Is that fair? I, I, I don't know how else you could describe losing Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, Steven Nelson, a couple of guys off the offensive line without saying that they took a step backward. But what if? What if? one really important position took an unexpected step forward. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovachovich of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers comes your way bright and early every weekday morning. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I offer up daily shots of Penguins and Pirates. I'm talking about the wide receivers Actually, the term, what if, applies to each one of these guys in an individualized way. Because all three of the starters, and I could throw in James Washington as well as the fourth guy, have visibly untapped potential. The question is, how do you get it all? How do you get everything that you, I was going to say want, but might be what you need? Because, again, if the team overall has taken a step backward, people within have to take a step forward. When I think of this receiving core, an untapped potential... I'm going to start with the guy who's supposed to be the number one, who's supposed to be the most gifted of the group, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster. Nothing to do with any of the social media, TikToks, blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about football here. I'm talking about the fact that he grossly underachieved in 2020 as it related to creating Splash. If you go back to rookie Juju, yeah, he made some catches downfield and he made things happen on longer range type routes. But for the most part, when you think of the impact that Juju had, what had him immediately vault into stardom, and it was that, like right off the bat... Never, ever forget that he was included in that NFL 100 TV ad. Remember that thing? I mean, all these legends and there's... Even among the Steelers, there's Mean Joe and Franco and Juju. And and I get that some of that was done because the league was looking for a current face, someone who was young and fresh and exciting and, and Juju's engaging on social media and everything like that. But there also, you know, there was a subtext that this is a potentially great football player. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that Juju was held back in part, maybe in large part, by the knee injury that I reported on recently for DK Pittsburgh Sports. He was having the knee drained every Friday before games. He was being held out of practices. And although neither he nor the team would discuss it in any kind of detail, it would be really safe and, I think, fair to suggest that it would have held him back. Otherwise, you know, why was he being held out of practices and why was he having the thing drained? He couldn't possibly have been at full capacity. No chance. So when you think of those 75-yarders, the 80-yarders that he had in 2018, you'll remember the one in Denver. You'll remember another one against Cleveland. And he'd look like the moment he got the ball in any kind of space... He was a threat to score. And this, despite, if you go back to his combines and pre-draft evaluations, not necessarily having the most breakneck straight-ahead speed. He just had that natural strength, that natural push, that explosion, especially in the first couple of steps to make things happen that's why Randy Feitner was still against all visual evidence and logic running the same quick slants to Juju again and again and again maybe just hoping that somehow magically that Juju would return and rescue his lack of imagination on the offense but that's a separate subject If Juju's healthy, and I mean 100% healthy, and this is a young man, this is someone who really ought to be able to get this thing corrected. To our knowledge, he has not had surgery on this knee, minor or major. And sometimes you can say, oh, that's a good thing. But, you know, when you're aware of it at the end of the last regular season, playoffs, playoffs, Maybe that is the time to get something like that corrected. I'm not sitting here playing doctor or orthopedist or whatever. I'm just saying. It's not necessarily great news that he didn't get it surgically repaired. Whatever it is that he's got wrong in there, here's hoping that all concerned are doing the right thing toward making it well again, strong again, and then he can get that push again. Because if Juju returns to the progression the ascent that he'd shown as a rookie and we're having a very different dialogue now aren't we about this whole football team but there's a couple other guys to discuss here as well, this portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Lawrence, Garbett, Kelly and George LGKG They help people who filed for medical malpractice claims, who've been hurt in car accidents, who need assistance with workers' comp, LGKG. The attorneys there have been designated as super lawyers, capital S, capital L, for over 15 years in the state of Pennsylvania. They've got offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, Or you can just look them up online at lgkg.com or give them a call at 888-842-5454. Tell my man Larry Kelly that we said hello. Then there's Deontay Johnson. Like, I want to look at the good Deontay and say that this is is a player who has a ceiling that's at least in the spirit of Antonio Brown, meaning the style. Not at all his caliber, his talent, all the other ridiculous stuff that AB can do. But then I, 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 I can't get past 15 drops. I'm sorry, I can't. It doesn't make sense to me to do that. It doesn't make sense to me to say, yeah, but if only he could get over the drops. Fifteen drops were the most in the National Football League by any player at any position. 1-5. And there's no one who needs to be reminded of that one stretch where he couldn't catch anything. I mean, he couldn't catch a ball that was basically handed to him. At which point Mike Tomlin had no choice. to bench him for a half in Buffalo. Not in a punitive way. He just couldn't afford to have him out there. There's only so far you can push it when you're trying to get somebody going or try to get their confidence back. They've got to cooperate, you know? And at the same time, I look at some of the catches that Deontay does make and the soft hands that he shows, the way he brings the ball into himself, the way he gets it on his deep routes. This isn't some big dude This isn't Megatron out there. But if you throw him a really good deep ball, he'll find a way to get under it, collect it, and keep running. He can do a lot of different things. How about his abilities in space, since I referenced that with Juju, although in a different kind of way? Juju, again, was about that straight ahead explosion. Deontay's more about just making everybody miss. If you give him a little bit of breathing room, let him feel a little bit of mojo before he takes off. This is a guy who, here it comes, if he can avoid the drops, can become a significant component to the Matt Canada offense in particular. Because you're going to see a lot of left, right. You're going to see a lot of misdirection. And I really believe you're going to see a lot of wide receivers running the football. And out of the receivers on this team, the two that I most want running it, and in different ways, are Deontay and Chase Claypool. More Deontay than Claypool. He can still be a star-type receiver. In this league, I believe that. I believe that. He's still kind of new here. Don't forget that. And he has talent. And when you look at those drops, I know you can make the argument that drops are always psychological. Well, what went wrong? What was he thinking? That he gets happy feet before somebody came to hit him? What was it? And in Deontay's case, it was so very clearly mental. Because he doesn't have stone hands. He doesn't lack technique for catching a football. He happens to be really, really, really good at it. So he's got a hurdle that he has to climb. And if, here's my term again, if he does, awesome, awesome, totally different dialogue. Now we've got how many? Juju's gone, Deontay's gone, sounds great then there's the other guy, who might be the biggest variable, in a good way, in the equation. But I believe that Claypool has a couple of what-ifs in his mix, one of whom isn't him. It's Ben Roethlisberger. For the Steelers to get the most out of Claypool... Ben's got to throw downfield. Now, within that, Ben's also got to be able to trust his line, not feel like he has to get rid of the ball in 2.7 seconds, take his time, put it up there, let Chase go fight for it. Which brings me to the second one, which is that Chase has to go fight for it. I wasn't crazy about his combat catchiness, if you will in 2020. Occasionally we'd see it. We definitely saw it in the opener at East Rutherford. Remember that catch down the right sideline against the Giants that had like this ridiculous degree of difficulty per the new next-gen stats? I think it had something like a 15% chance of being caught, and he comes down with it and gets his tippy-toes inside the sideline. Pretty stuff. Didn't see a lot of that over the season, didn't see him go up and really, really battle for the football the way James Washington does. But we saw a lot of other things from Claypool, and we did see some of that breakaway speed that I've been describing with the rookie Juju. There are different ways that Claypool can be utilized too. He can become a bigger part of the short game, and as I mentioned, he also can become part of the running game. No reason not to. No reason not to. The one thing that's the what-if with Claypool that I think is the most controllable here is that he he can continue to put on strength, if not necessarily weight, in the upper body. Mike Tomlin loves to talk about how rookies never, ever, ever, ever show up in the NFL in NFL shape. No matter what kind of college programs they're in, it's just not the same as NFL conditioning. But Claypool did okay in that regard. The Steelers tried to mitigate that by not using him as much in the middle of the season, if you'll recall, because they were worried that he'd wear down, he'd never played that many games, and again, he didn't show up in NFL shape. Not a criticism, it's just the gap between colleges and, and the big time. If he can do those things, if, 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 and the Steelers once again throw the deep ball and have a deep threat, different discussion, my friends. Lots of ifs, but also lots of possibilities. And I'm not even touching on James Washington. I, If you've been listening to me for a while, you know how strongly I feel about him. I don't know that he should be a four on this team. Ideally... He is a four on this team, because the other three do have higher ceilings. But let's see them. Let's actually see them. When we come back, Just One Question. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question. That comes today from Newtown Tommy who says, Sorry, DK, not buying the narrative that it's easy to go out and grab a franchise quarterback. I'd love to see some data to support that. There have been 216 of them drafted after Ben, 53 of them were first rounders. How many of them were franchise quarterbacks, and how many are in the league right now? There are 34 quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame. And Ben will join them, plug and play right. Okay, Tommy, let's start from the top. For anybody who doesn't know, he's referring to a conversation that I started on yesterday's show about everyone fretting constantly the end of Ben and how the Steelers will never, ever, ever be able to have another franchise quarterback. And this right here, Tommy, your entry here is, to me, it symbolizes the broader sentiment of Steelers Nation in this capacity. Because what you're citing here are... Franchise quarterbacks and Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And this is why the nation is still caught up, especially older fans, for obvious reasons, about that gap between Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger and how horrible it was to have, you know, Mark Malone and Bubby Brister and Cordell Stewart and Neil O'Donnell and Tommy Maddox and, and, and. Listen. There are very few quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame, as you correctly point out, and the Steelers are blessed to have had two of them, each of whom won multiple championships. This is a great, great thing. It's also extraordinary. You know, if all we're going to do here is take the most extreme examples and say, well, look. Joe Montana was finished up and the 49ers had Steve Young waiting in the wings. Brett Favre was winding down in Green Bay, at least they thought so. And Aaron Rodgers was right there and everybody was able to feel comfortable in that peace with the position, knowing that, you know, someday when their old guy was done, they already knew who their new guy was. That's actually what has people unsettled, is that they don't know who. They don't know who. But that's also part of building and running a sports franchise. You don't always have all the answers right in front of you. This isn't something to criticize the team over. If they make a commitment, the Steelers, that after this season, they're going to identify first and foremost that there is a need to bring in their next quarterback. They have multiple avenues through which to do so. This is the point that I'm making here. It's not snap your fingers and get a Hall of Famer. I didn't suggest that and I never even used the term plug and play that you reference. I don't even know where that came from. They have to look first at who they have and see if Mason Rudolph is going to be the guy. They've had him around. They've kept him in their system for several years. They see something that they like. Does that mean that Mason Rudolph has to end up in Canton? No. Can you still win a Super Bowl with a quarterback who doesn't end up in Canton? Sure. It's been done. But if you're Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, Art Rooney, and this is one of those decisions that goes all the way to the top. You look at who you have. You look at what's coming and what's available in the draft. What kind of capital would be involved in trading up to be one of those teams that does pursue a quarterback in the top 10? Sometimes it doesn't have to be in the top 10. I'll remind you that Ben was an 11, and I'll remind you that Justin Fields, a lot of people feel... That the kid from Ohio State's going to be better than any of the quarterbacks taken, maybe even Trevor Lawrence. I don't buy that, but I'm just saying. You don't know. It is a crapshoot. If that's the point you're trying to make with me, sure, of course it is. But if your point is actually, it's impossible, it's never going to happen. We had Bradshaw, we had Roethlisberger, and now we're done forever at the position. I'm not buying it. You can also make a trade. There are quarterbacks available via trade. There are quarterbacks that fall into situations that don't suit them somewhere else. Would you take Deshaun Watson? I'm not saying that he's going to be available. I'm not saying he's not going to be in jail with some of his recent problems. But who would have ever thought that there'd be any circumstance that Deshaun Watson would have had his name come up as a possibility to be moved at his age. These things happen. You just have to kind of wait them out. Not kind of. You have to wait them out. Colbert and Tomlin and Rooney are all going to have to wait this one out, unless they think it's Rudolph. I'm not anywhere near sold on that, but I'm at least open to it. Let's see. Let's see. It's my only point here. This is not the end of the world. That's it. I appreciate the question, Tommy. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll have one more of these this week tomorrow.